a voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. Draw the hearts of shepherds, draw the hearts of kings. Even as a baby, you were changing everything. You come into your kingdom before your lips could speak. Even as a baby, you were reaching out for me. And now we are waiting. grateful today that we are together in this season of Advent, that even as things are uh, changing, you never change, and that we uh, can rely on that promise that just as you came 2,000 years ago and took on the form of, of humanness to be able to be with us and to enter into all that we needed, uh, so we can rely on that promise now, that we can gather together and remind each other to kindle the flame of hope that you are coming again and that when you come, all things will be made new. And so our prayer, Lord, is to come, to come, long-expected Jesus, to come, the one who is the source of all hope and comfort. We pray this with earnest in this season of Advent as your church, as we consider people um, that are around us that we know that are going through such hard times. We pray, come, Lord Jesus. As we consider our the own, the own struggles that we have within our own hearts and, and our own minds conflicted over what's happening around us, as we know our, our, our bodies are frail and as, as we age, we know more and more that we are made for something more than this, than this life and this world. And so we, we pray, come thou long expected Jesus, because we know that when you come, all things will be set right. And as we heard Isaiah proclaim, it is by your mouth that we have these promises. Not something that we make up, but rather something we, we can believe and hold on to because they have come from you. So once again, Lord, we offer you today our lives, asking that you would kindle the faith in us and you would make good on those promises that you will come again. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Feel free to have a seat if you're not already already in your chair, and we're going to begin um, with our 
our time around the Word today. We're going to be looking together at Second Peter. We're in the season of Advent, and in doing this, we are looking at the the different readings that are for this season. The church has a calendar. It's called the liturgical calendar, and and there are readings that are put in there from the Bible for every Sunday throughout the year. And during Advent, during this New Year season of the church, we are in those readings. So we're going to be in Second Peter. You can kind of start going there now. We're in the third chapter. And as you do that, let me just say a quick announcement. We're going to be having a Christmas Eve service definitely here. Um, it's going to be in the evening time where we're still deciding between two separate times, either 4.30 or 5. We'll let you know very soon. We want it to be so we're ending when it's dark. And so we're doing research on how that works best, but also not dark enough where we're going to start freezing <laughs> out here in the cold. But it's going to be a very... Uh, and we're gone. And we're back. We're going to be doing. Uh, we're going to be doing it out here like a campfire Christmas. So it's going to be a nice way for us to come together as a community with family and and be together out here. Uh, well, like what would have been on that original Christmas Eve, uh, as as Mary and Joseph were outside. So we will be outside this year. So we're going to enter maybe in, into this story in a new way that will be profound. So Second Peter, that's where we're going to be today. Let me pray before we jump in. Lord, we ask that as we open your word, particularly here to the second letter that Peter wrote to the church, that you would give us, once again, uh, illumination by your spirit, that once again you would allow us to open up uh, these words with understanding, that our faith is seeking truth and our faith is seeking understanding and we know that this is only possible uh, when, when you are here, when, when you are giving us what we ask. So, Lord, use the words that I'm going to speak and the meditation of our hearts together to bring glory to your name. Amen. So this is Second Peter chapter 3. I'm going to be reading starting in verse 8. And I'll go down to verse 15 so you kind of have an idea. So Second Peter chapter 3 starting in verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. 
This is the word of the Lord, and we give thanks to God. What kind of impact does your view of the future have on your life? What kind of impact does your imagination of the future have on your life? How are you being influenced right now by good or ill today in this moment by what you think about the future? Peter's making a point with you today that your future focus probably has more influence on your present focus than you are realizing. If you have ever read or watched the uh, I rendition of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, then you kind of get an idea of what Peter's doing here in his letter. We were watching last night, the kids went to bed, Peter, um, Caleb, you didn't know this, but uh, we watched a little bit of the Christmas Carol it came on. And I, as I was watching it, I was realizing, wow, this is, this is a lot what Peter is doing in this chapter. In the first part of, of this letter and this chapter, Peter is reminding us that God is the one who created all things, kind of like the, the past part of the film or, or the book. And then he moves right as we begin our reading today into the present. But then in verse 10, Peter moves his focus to the future. He starts talking about the day of the Lord, which is code talk here in the church for the day when Jesus comes again, the apocalypse. <laughs> Jesus is focusing our attention on the end of that story of all things that we know. This is verse 10. Now I'm going to read it again, and I want actually let the fierce language kind of sink in. Where are we here? Okay. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Peter is ushering all of all of you to the cliff. <laughs> to, to the end, to the cliff of the apocalypse. But he brings you there with also not hiding his intentions. He brings you to that, that vista point where you're able to see what's going to be happening. And he's doing this, he says, in order for us to be able to see the present as the treasure that the present is for each of us. The gift of the now. So that we might have a better mindfulness as to what he says, what kind of people, what kind of people you are trying to be. So there are two questions Peter puts before you today. One is, how are you imagining your future? And second, what influence is that having on the kind of person, his words, kind of person you are being? Okay, so really think right now, what is the imagination that we have about the future? It seems to me that Peter is trying to rattle you. He's actually kind of trying to put the fear of God. He's trying to create a come to Jesus moment in each of our hearts as he writes this letter. He's speaking of this day. And if you really begin to imagine it, it it's, it's a little scary thinking about um, the, the, this fire and this flame that will melt all things, that will put an end to the heavens and the earth. All things will be laid bare. It will be the undoing 
of the creation that has been made. But these words we might think are Peter being strategically uh, this, this oratory style of trying to scare you into following Jesus. But he, actually, Peter is just following what Jesus already said. You can see what he says, Jesus, in Matthew 24. And this is what he had taught Peter. So Peter is just being a faithful disciple. And again, it's fiery, okay? This is what Jesus says. I'm not this isn't Jonathan, this is Jesus. So about the day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, how was it in the days of Noah? Remember, there's evil all over the world, and then what happens? Floods the earth. God undoes what he had created in humanity. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the, the ark. And they knew nothing about what happened until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. This is Jesus. <laughs> Two women will be grinding with a handmill, and one will be taken on the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. I mean, Jesus and now Peter following suit here in his letter, they're not pulling any of their punches, right? They're, they're hitting us with reality at full steam. Kind of like you just saw that Mike Tyson is trying to make a little comeback. <laughs> he's, he's like, he's like really coming at us. There's not holding anything back. There's nothing sugar-coated about what Jesus and Peter are are explaining about our future. They are legit trying to rattle you. Are you at all familiar with the concept of a near-death experience? It's this idea that, um, oh, for example, getting into a bad car accident that could have taken your life or going to see your doctor and finding out the news of, of some really serious diagnosis that threatens your life. It's anything like this that, that kind of has that brush of death experience where it makes you contemplate, oh, wow, that was close. That could have been me. There was a study that was done called Near-Death Experiences and Post-Traumatic Growth back in 2015. It was published in uh, an academic journal. And it was looking at people that had these near-death experiences. And they, they went back and studied how their lives were being led two years and eight years after this near-death experience. And in one, one particular uh, type of near-death experience, which probably is obvious they, they studied, was people who had had some sort of a heart attack, some sort of a heart episode. And they came back, and I'm going to quote what the journal found, what this academic report says. They found that all survivors of a cardiac arrest, all, at follow-up, 
two and eight years later, we're more self-assured. We're more socially aware and more religious than before that event and also showed increased empathy and intuition, greater interest in spirituality and less fear of death. That really fascinated me. Understanding that that life has a limit in some way, being confronted with this reality that the present is something to be treasured, it caused people to grow, as I would describe, in their righteousness and godliness. That fascinates me. Because as we look at the as we look at what Peter and Jesus are doing in this in this letter and in Jesus' teaching, it's as if he's trying to draw us into a near-death experience with their words into understanding where we are going to be, kind of painting the picture and putting us there. As I was saying in the beginning, like Peter walking us to the cliff of the end of the apocalypse so that we can also have the ability to appreciate the context of your life. In being put into that position, we hear Peter's words, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, he asked the question, what kind of people ought you be? It's almost as if Jesus and Peter want you to have that near-death experience so that you too would be able to appreciate fully that the end is something that's real. <laughs> that the gift that we have of the present is something to be treasured and to stir up in each of us godliness. Now, this is something that science would tell us based on this report that humans do naturally. When we have the near-death experience, humans, what they proved is they naturally begin to contemplate things like God, contemplate even how to live righteous life, which in the church we would say, and we would admit that makes sense because our natural instincts are God-given. God created us with, with a certain way of life. The reason we often are fearful of death is because we weren't even created to die in the first place. We were created to be with the Lord and enjoy him forever. And so science, I'm fascinated how this report was able to begin to dive into to these, these facts, this reality that you can prove of how people actually begin to change when they're confronted with their mortality. And maybe your assumption is that people, when they're confronted with this, would start to just hoard all their money and spend it on, on licentious living. But really, the science, <laughs> this proved that people actually did the opposite. So how are you imagining your future? How often does the day of the Lord, a.k.a. the apocalypse, <laughs> a.k.a more how we talk about it here, the day that Jesus returns. How is that impacting your day to day? If my guess is right, is that for most of you, it doesn't really come into consideration in a daily way. We were in, in a Bible study a couple weeks back and we came along the realization that for most people, for most Christians, the idea of heaven, the idea of Jesus coming again is something that we believe in. If I asked you, do you believe Jesus will come again? Yes, I believe that. But is it something that is actually impacting your day-to-day decision-making? No, not really. 
It's not something that has a thoroughgoing effect on our lives. You hear two amazing descriptions of heaven by Peter in this passage. As you're thinking about your future today, I think Peter is encouraging you to think about these two today. One you hear in verse 13, he says, when Jesus comes again, when all things are undone, when a new heaven and a new earth are done, are made, then it will be where righteousness dwells. Where righteousness dwells. And secondly, he speaks in verse 15 of your salvation. I, I don't know which of these two I want to talk about first. They're so exciting. Let's do, um, let's do salvation first. So he talks about this, this notion that when Jesus comes again, that it will mean the, the, we've been talking about this word peace for a while now, shalom, that in this, in this new heaven, in this new earth, that people will be made in complete peace. This salvation will, will be our existence. There are many times in our lives where we're trying to create our sense of savedness. Peter is reminding you today there's only one way you can be saved. As you're looking at the end, <laughs> end of life, end of season, or when Jesus comes again, there is only one thing that can save. And Peter is pointing us to that. As, as, as he is getting our attention on the end, he's saying there is one, one means of being saved. One means of finding shalom or peace being connected back to God, being connected back to one another, being connected back to our purpose and our meaning and the reason that we were created in the first place. Peter is pointing you, saying that when Jesus comes, it will be good because you will finally enter into the full saving of who you are. We have, as a church, we get to proclaim the good news that Jesus has, has come and, and through the cross and resurrection, we have been saved. But as we all know, living in this world, there are daily reminders of the pain that we have in this world. There are many times we don't feel like we've been saved. And in fact, we feel like we wish we were saved from the situations that we're in. We long, as Peter says, we want to long for the day of the Lord because that is the moment when we are fully, completely, 100% enter into that saved reality. It's something that Peter would say in other places is guarded for us in heaven. It's like an inheritance waiting. When Jesus comes, we get all that inheritance. We are completely saved. That's why we say, come quickly. We began seeing today, come, that long expected Jesus. Things like COVID, things like cancer, things like losing your job, losing a family member, all those things will be no more. We'll be saved from all of it. Second is this idea, Peter, Peter says, it's going to be where righteousness dwells. Righteousness, rightness, perfect justice. Justice, social justice has been a key word in our country in this year. But it's also been just a human, a human problem since the day we were created, since, since the dawn of creation from that moment when Cain first killed Abel. There's been a, a break in the way that humans interact with one another and the world. And as we live our lives, we also, doing so, trying to be godly, trying to be Christian, you find that there are other people who are willing to take shortcuts. 
and who are willing to cheat the system in order to get ahead. And a lot of times that leaves someone trying to follow Christ feeling like they've been bamboozled, <laughs> feeling like they have been cheated by faith, that somehow in this life being a Jesus follower actually didn't get me ahead. Peter is pointing to a time in the future when he says everything will be melted, all things will be laid bare, everything will be known. So the way that you strove to do things the right way will be known and the way that someone else might have sought to cut corners and to cheat the system to make it bend in their manner will also be laid bare. And in that moment, it won't matter what happened then. It will only matter moving forward that it will be the place where righteousness dwells, where perfect justice will reign. I am looking forward to that time. And, you know, I've been able to see a lot of parts of the world and be a part also in a lot of parts of our own country and then now within this community of, of the valley. And there is so much injustice in our world, I'm not just talking racially now, I'm talking economics, I'm talking the way that people treat one another from one church to another church from one Christian to another Christian, there is so much that needs to be um, reconciled in this world on a large scale. And I know that happens also in your own life, in your own thoughts and prayers. The day when Jesus comes, all things are set right. All things are put in their place. And so for that reason, Peter again urges us to strive, to long for, to hasten, he says, quicken. <laughs> Quicken that coming, that desire for the coming of Christ in our hearts. How is your imagination of that day influencing the decisions that you make right now? Knowing that it is that day you're going to be completely saved. Knowing it is that day when perfect righteousness will rule in our world. How is that a part of your day-to-day -day influence? Because that moves us to our second question. What influence is that having on the kind of person you are being today? And actually, that's entirely up to you. Father, we ask that in the next moment that you would help us to continue to consider what you have written to us and that we are being called to do and to be as we imagine that future day and the kind of people that that makes us now.